0: Deep and meaningful conversations to connect, find calm, feel empowered, and uncover clarity. Welcome to the Death Dying Diagnosis and Duelers Podcast. Welcome to the program, Wendy Hall from Dementia Duelers International. How are you? Good, thank you. How are you? Great. I'm really excited to have you on here because I've never heard of a dementia doula, and I want to hear all about you and how you ended up. Doing what you're doing and how you're going to change the world. So, first up, tell me a little bit about your background and then how you started your business as Dementia Duelist.
1: Well, thank you for giving me this opportunity to talk. I guess it starts back, I have a history as a registered nurse and also as an on road paramedic from many, many years ago and worked in aged care quite a few years ago. And then I guess I started to want to really work in a more proactive area. So, I moved into the area of dementia more specifically about 15 years ago and over the years I, I was just so blessed to be able to work with people who were newly diagnosed through to that end stage and then still supporting family members um, post you know, you know the person passing away and i always felt like there was a real gap at the end of life that i you know i'd had the opportunity to work in palliative care many years ago and i just really felt like there's there's no one there tailoring and specializing services for people with advancing dementia and so it kind of bugged me for quite a few years and then i kind of got to a point in my career where i kind of was seeking out something that, that might be able to fill that gap. And there's a lot of good courses and mainstream services there. Quite often, people with advancing dementia will end up in an aged care home where they get quite generalised services. So they may they, they get good service, but they don't get tailored palliative Care services like anyone else with a life limiting disease or illness would would get. So it kind of put me on a path to find and create a new model for that, that space. And I guess opportunity kind of put me on a path where I came across the end of life doula model and kind of went, although it doesn't fit perfectly, I, I think I found my, my foundation.
0: Wow, that's beautiful. So when you look at the difference between an end-of-life doula and a dementia doula, what's the main difference or differences?
1: One of the main differences, well, two of the key elements for me that really differentiated the two roles was that with an end-of-life doula, quite often you're connecting with someone in those final 12 to 18 months, for example, whereas someone with a diagnosis of dementia is effectively facing a life-limiting disease from their time of diagnosis which could be anywhere up to 10 years. There's a different relationship there to be formed and it's not necessarily a short one. The other key element for me was that generally with an end-of-life doula or when I've worked in the palliative space, quite often you're able to, to connect and still talk to the person unless, obviously, they're, they're for whatever reason, unable. Um, mm. They're still able to express what their wishes are up until, you know, very close to the end, whereas someone with dementia loses their voice very, very early on. So it's very much about trying to capture that voice and empowering and positioning families as early as possible.
0: So, if I was somebody that had an early diagnosis of dementia, would I connect with you now or or is it later? Like what do you suggest?
1: Ideally it would be now. Reality is that quite often it'll be it'll be later in the person's progression. But having said that, I guess been up and running for the last couple of years now. There's a lot of awareness from people. I'm getting referrals from people who are newly diagnosed that are feeling quite lost and not sure what their starting point is. So the earlier, the better. While the person can still talk and connect, but that's not a, it's not an easy thing to do in the earlier stages, as you can imagine. Because
0: it sounds uh, like really scary, you know, to, to have a diagnosis of dementia and then have insight into that. So what would you how, do you, how do you talk to people in that circumstance?
1: I think it's keeping it real. And unfortunately, what I've seen over the years with people that are newly diagnosed with dementia is... From time of diagnosis, the day before they get the diagnosis, they're probably someone who's still, you know, they're living in the community, they're potentially working, supporting a family, but having a few issues with their memory. And then when they get a diagnosis, they can all of a sudden do nothing. The disease hasn't done that. That's a knock to someone's self-esteem and their confidence. And I think society as a whole plays a big part in that and our own pride and ego. We don't like to show our, our weaknesses and our vulnerabilities and someone with nearly diagnosed with dementia, they know what comes with that. They know the stigma attached to that and they know how people will think of them or they will perceive how people will think of them. Mm. So it is very hard to connect. So it's about keeping it real and helping them still like feel like they're a valuable member of society.
0: Yeah. Okay. So a lot of us are don't really understand dementia in detail. So, you know, we hear the word dementia, but they're all different types, aren't they?
1: There is. So there's over 100 different types. And that's a big issue as well that we still face from a from a health and aged care perspective is that even though there are over 100 different types, we still bundle it into the same basket and call it one. And imagine doing that with all the different cancers that there are. Imagine saying... Why waste our time trying to really hone in on the individual cancers let's just call it cancer if you did that it would mean that everyone would get the same treatment and management plan there would be no individualizing the services that they actually need and that's a big issue in dementia
0: that's such a great way to describe that you know like the comparison because everybody because cancers as we know i mean they're all completely different and different trajectories and how that works and so dementia is similar to that so some people experience it's sort of quick uh, progression and others it's a decade or more. Is
1: that right? It's so individual. And again, it depends on, yeah, how, what type of dementia the person has and how it's manifesting within the brain. It's a very physical disease. It's not like a mental health issue where we're looking more at chemical imbalances. So if you looked at the brain of someone, say, for example, who had schizophrenia, their brain tissue actually would probably look quite healthy but if you look at someone with dementia, if you look at their brain, um, there is actual, the, the brain cells are, are dying. They are breaking mm. down. So depending on how that manifests for the individual is how they would be affected by, by the disease.
0: The Death, Dying, Diagnosis and Doulas podcast. Empowerment through conversation, connection through understanding. This is the Death, Dying, Diagnosis and Doulas podcast. I noticed in your bio you mentioned part of their overall objective was that so that people didn't go it alone what do you mean by that and does that also mean the family and say if people are in an aged care facility how you support the staff as well so what does that actually mean
1: definitely it's it's very it's all encompassing and i have a background as well in so i i actually do dementia training for staff in care homes and my my realization over the years is that care staff as well-meaning and as wonderful as so many of them are just aren't equipped to really provide that tailored type care and get everyone on the same page. Mm. So it is about the person themselves. It's about family. It's about staff. And it is about creating what the end of life doula might create in the community. You're trying to create that in quite often, most times it'll be within a, a care home type environment. So, When I say I don't want people going it alone, I've worked alongside too many people for too many years that although they are surrounded by a lot of people, they are still disconnected. They are still very much on their own and they still don't know how to actively play a role in the care of the person that they're supporting.
0: So really the guts of what you're doing there as well is keeping the person connected to themselves, their community, to their environment. Is that what you mean by that? Because it's a great concept to, you know, I love that thought of people just keeping connected right through the whole process.
1: Yeah. And when I started nursing 30 years ago, there was very much still the attitude of, uh, you know, someone with dementia, the lights are on and no one's home. And it was such a common phrase that we would hear. But then when you work closely with someone with dementia, you kind of go, but there is someone in there. Like, they may be trapped in there, but there's still someone in there and anyone that's worked or supported someone with dementia, that'll really resonate with them. So it's about keeping that connection and keeping that person uh, alive in a way that others can connect with. Because, again, quite often we, our everyday relationships are very much based on face value. If I talk to you, you'll talk to me back. If you don't, then I'll either think you haven't heard me or you might be ignoring me and you might not like me, so I <laughs> might just walk away from you. And the person living with advancing dementia doesn't have those social type connections uh, or the ability to do that and to connect with people like, and so that leaves those of us that are outside of that realm feeling quite confused and feeling like there's nothing we can actually do.
0: Wow. So say I'm a, it's my mum that I'm worried about or my dad or my auntie or my uncle and and I'm listening to you talk, and I've got concerns about somebody really close to me in my family because I'm starting to notice them forgetting and things, that, and their personality may be changing. What would you say to them? Like, how, how do you help families breach that gap between oh, there's something not right and I don't know what to do about it?
1: The first part of a call always has to be the GP. That has to be the starting point. And unfortunately, when there are issues with thought processes or memory, everyone automatically goes straight to dementia. Mm. And as soon as you go straight to dementia, the walls go up and quite often mum or whoever else it is will go, thanks, but no thanks, as most of us would do. So I think it's really important to highlight and rather than go straight to dementia, which everyone will do naturally anyway, is to really feel comfortable that there are so many other things that can actually cause changes to memory or thought, thought processes. So there's so much, so, so many other things that could be going on there. So could be in, an infection or dehydration or a nutritional deficiency. So there's so many things that could impact on that, that it's important that they're explored and treated as, as they need to be.
0: Because I'm imagining there'd be people in that group that, actually don't have dementia, they've got something that can be managed if it's got the right treatment by the right person early.
1: Exactly. And you don't want a misdiagnosis of dementia. Or no. if it's left, people can end up becoming a lot sicker because of those untreated things.
0: Connection is key for the Death Dying Diagnosis and Duels podcast. If we speak to you and people that work in your space, reach out for a collaboration Julie at doulaconnections.com.au. So the book that you have released, who's that for?
1: Well, that's an interesting question because it was meant to be for staff. It was very much targeted to help anyone working with someone with dementia to really be able to connect. But what I've actually had a lot of feedback uh, from families who have said that it basically has given them a voice and uh, a language that they can kind of share with others. So it's it's helped uh, a lot of people be to be able to to be able to read the book and think, ah, that's how I can best you know, um, explain to others how I want them to connect with my family member.
0: Yeah, because clearly there's some gaps there. I mean, I know that there's, there's a lot of dementia services in Australia, but yours is different, you know? So what do you think the main difference is between what you're doing and what are the, a lot of the other dementia-type services and organisations are that are already available?
1: What I'm trying to do is speak in a real language that that people can connect with. And I think a lot of services are restricted in the way that they can connect with their clients purely based on their funding streams and and that they need to be everything to everybody in that space. Whereas for me, this role and my business is very much about we need to be about the person and the family and to be able to widen that network so that Others will be able to find it easier, perhaps even to provide their services, but also to highlight a gap in services. So because we don't have that clinical kind of medical component that we are very much almost like a dimension navigator, Mm. I guess, in a lot of ways, it, it kind of is looking from the other side.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I love that. Oh God, there's so many questions that are just going through my head that, you know, that I want to ask you. So, so the next book, tell me a little bit more about that and what gap that's going to fill.
1: Well, I'm hoping that's pretty obvious that it is called the dementia doula. So it's about giving dementia doulas their own language and uh, an opportunity to, to, I guess, work out where things fit. For them and how they want to to connect with their clients or the people that they're supporting, and to also be the individual. And I guess any of us that have worked in the medical area, uh, we come very much through a cookie cutter kind of, mm. you know. This is who you will be as a practitioner. And I want to really be able to instill in dementia doulas that they will offer something unique. They will offer something to their clients that, that I can't and there'll be things that I can offer that they can't. But we will have that common foundation and a common language that we use because it's all about how we speak because we're effectively mentoring anyone and everyone to be able to feel comfortable in this space and to feel like they actually do have so much to offer the person.
0: Mmm, so... With the training that you do with people with who are dementia dualers, like how do they fit into the puzzle of health, you know, healthcare, aged care? Like, where do they work? Who employs them? Are they in, like, are they working as individual businesses? Like, what's the model?
1: Yeah, so we are still a relatively new concept. So again, things really launched for us over the last year, eighteen, well, no, probably two years now, and of course, then we hit COVID. So a lot of doors were starting to open, and then things obviously quickly shut. <laughs> (laughs) so at the moment there is certainly a lot of interest in in the model around having dementia doulas in care homes so that's kind of something we're still navigating and really looking forward to being able to to bring that to fruition in the future so yeah at the moment what we're seeing is those individual practitioners that are working with people in the community or supporting families
0: uh, next question I wanted to ask you I'm thinking about while you were talking about emergency departments and I imagine over the next you know few years as all the baby boomers are aging there's going to be a lot more people coming into emergency departments with some stage of dementia and realistically they're also busy like how How do we service people properly in those sort of environments when the staff are just so busy with what they're trying to do just to keep people alive? I mean, it's nearly like we need dementia doulas everywhere. What's your thoughts on that?
1: Firstly, the preference would be not to send people to an emergency department in the first place, but I know that that's not always the case. But a lot of people do end up in the hospital system not because they need to be, but because the people around them don't feel comfortable or feel like they are able to meet the person with dementia's needs. So that's a whole other issue as well. So if we could reduce that number, that would go a long way to putting people in a situation where they're going to be disorientated, they're going to be more confused and distressed. Absolutely agree that every environment, wherever a person with dementia goes, that should be an environment where a dementia doula can provide support so i totally agree we should be everywhere we should absolutely be everywhere and and that also acknowledges how the role is very not not about being part of the medical system it supports and uh, provides that almost that backup that the the medical system needs but it's not a good fit for where it Mm -hmm. would exclusively exclusively be
0: yeah. So do you think that when you think about the health profession do you think that there is enough training about dementia and how best to communicate or even how to, to like what are the flags when you don't know anybody or know anything about them and you could be just working in a shop you know and somebody comes in with some with a with dementia like what are the flags for the public and for people how do they how do they get some idea that There's something that they might need to communicate in a different way. And how would you suggest they do that? I
1: think a lot of people in the community can spot when something's not right. So quite often, people will see that someone's struggling. I think the older the person is, the more that. Uh, members of the community are more likely to think that perhaps it is dementia and depending on that person's individual personality or background they may be willing to step in and and feel comfortable supporting that person. The unfortunate part is that there is uh, on the increase uh, younger onset dementia and we aren't programmed to see younger people aged under 65, so anywhere from 40, even younger, living with dementia. So if someone is exhibiting confusion or distress or even anger in a younger person, the community isn't necessarily going to see that person as as potentially having dementia. So I think anyone that feels really uncomfortable but can see that someone really needs support it's just best to call an ambulance or even police just purely from a supportive perspective because police can then coordinate the right the right path that Mm. the, the right services that need to come into play but I have done a lot of work over the years with shop owners and community groups based on this very question and it's about again keeping it real and I think when it comes to communication whenever there is a shift in power as in if I'm caring for someone that puts me in a in a power position really what usually happens is our voices change and quite often they start to go up <laughs> and we start to say things like, are you okay? <laughs> and it's not my normal voice and it's not the voice I would use for my closest friend, but for some reason we use it. And it, it really makes the person with dementia feel, they already feel singled out. They already feel conscious and aware of the, that they are feeling different that, and that people are potentially looking at them. So to kind of come in with a, whether a not, uh, it's a voice we use. I don't know why we default to it, but we mm-hmm. do. And it, it, I think it really puts even a bigger wedge between us yeah. and the person. The more we can almost make the person feel like we're actually standing by their side, not in front of them trying mm-hmm. to pull them up, the more likely we are to
0: have it. Because it almost seems like people as and again even when older people don't have dementia there's all there's almost like this childlike way that people communicate with them like what's your thoughts about that and why do you think that happens i mean you know i could be 80 years old and like my mum she's in a mid mid 80s she doesn't have any dementia but i i hear people speaking to her in a in a different way to what they would have 10 years ago so what's your thoughts about that
1: I don't know. It's just something that we instinctively do. And, again, um, my teenage son talks to me in that way. He talks to me like I don't know anything. And it's, uh, <laughs> he uses this very condescending tone with me. Uh, it's something we just do when, when there's almost like it's perceived there, was, there is a There's an imbalance in power or it's just something that we naturally do and it's something that particularly in the area of dementia you have to actually really work on and I know that years ago when I was really conscious of this weird voice that would come out (laughs) and it usually has an upward infliction at the end that I had to make sure that wasn't coming out of my Mm. mouth and quite often when we're working with older people or people who are unwell, quite often we try and slow down our, our speech so that they can hear or understand what we're saying. And when you slow down your speech, it, the natural default is for that voice to kick in. Mm. So rather than just slow it down, we start to say things like, are you okay? <laughs> and it's weird. It's just a really... And yeah. it really Let's the person know if, if I was unwell or injured and someone spoke to me like that, I would navigate that because I know I need their help and I can process that and go, you know what, I don't know why you're using the stupid voice, but I, I, I need you. Someone with dementia is in a bit of a different position because mm-hmm. they don't always perceive that they need help or care. But what we're good at doing is caring. So there mm-hmm. is the misfit, the mm-hmm. disconnection.
0: Wow it's been fascinating talking to you today I'd love to invite you back again so if some of us would like to reach out to you what would be the best way for people to connect with any of your information or buy your book or learn more about you how could they do that?
1: Yeah so all our information is um, on our website so uh, au, and uh, the book is available through there it is also available through Amazon and a lot of online book retailers but you can certainly go through our website and then we can keep you up to date with what's happening and when our next books are coming out so yeah <laughs> lovely uh, also our course details are also all in there as well so uh, yeah thank great. you so much
0: thank you wendy that's uh, wonderful and dometria doula's the new thing thank you bye we hope you found this conversation and information interesting helpful and empowering with the Death, Dying, Diagnosis and Doulas podcast. Help us empower others by rating and reviewing us wherever you listen.